This idea of like, whether it's seeking God or trying to do something hard or whatever it is, it's in the try. It's the difference between being a participant and being a spectator. I would just encourage anybody to try and to be a little audacious about that. Ready. Welcome to the Eat, Play, Crush podcast. I am your host, Mary Shinuda. Over my career as a performance chef and specialist to some of the most elite athletes and entertainers, I have found that the gap between what they do and what you can accomplish is much more relatable than we make it seem. Performance and wellness should be inclusive. And I believe that if you have a body, you're performing at some level, whether you're a world-class athlete or simply someone like you and me. And it goes far beyond just nutrition. So my aim with this podcast is to share real life stories and expert advice to inspire and make a difference so that you may eat well, play hard and crush life. Before you jump into today's episode with Tate Fletcher, I want to give you a heads up and a trigger warning that while Tate and I cover a diverse array of topics, we do get into concussions and how they can present later on in life through your mental health. And Tate shares his story very vulnerably, which includes suicidal ideation. So if this is something that is sensitive to you, this might be a section or an episode you'd want to skip altogether. But if not, go ahead, get comfortable and listen to an amazing conversation with an amazing human being. When I left corporate to decide to go all in on this, on performance chefing, not podcasting, podcasting, as you can tell, is very new for me. Did you know that's what you were going to do when you came down, that you were going to cook? Yes, but I didn't have any clients. So so you knew the lane you wanted to be in, or did that just build... So there's something I want to talk to you about. So the the way I became a performance chef, are we interviewing me now? Yeah. (laughs) Was uh, sick my entire life and sort of made peace with being in pain every day. And it started around second grade. And even going and becoming an athlete and knowing that I'm going to have a headache every day, migraine a few times a month, ER visits, joint pain, hormones, all of that. I made a deal with God when I was really young because I was the anomaly in the hospital, um, being told I have cancer and lupus and all this crazy medications and all of this, that if I'm going to have to suffer this much, please tell me someone somewhere else is suffering less so I can make peace with this pain. And I would have bad days, but still go to the event or still play my sport up until the very last second until I couldn't anymore because I was pissed that this is an affect my livelihood. So my last ER visit, still in tech, last ER visit, um, they give you morphine and fenugrin and all this stuff that doesn't actually help with the pain. Intravenously just knocks you out. And then the hangover from that is like, mm-hmm. I'm just so anxious and reactive. I was just already having the pre-anxiety of like, I don't, I don't want the, I don't want the morphine. I don't want it. I don't want it. Please just tell me like, what is causing a migraine? Explain it to somebody fucking explain it to me. That's what would take you into the hospital generally is migraines. I would, it would get. That was the pain? It was the pain, but the migraine would get so, I was a vomiter and I had to sit in the dark, but I would vomit so much. I would pass out and somebody would find me and vomit and I'd get rushed to the ER. And I would try to explain to them it's a migraine, but they're assuming you're on drugs. They're and like, they're we like, walked into an overdose. Right. And I'm trying right. to tell them, like, it's square, L7, like, for wow. sure. And um, I, I've, I've had not great moments in the hospital where the nurses are refusing to treat me because they think I'm lying to them. And I'm like, I have my ot tattooed on my side. It's all about truth and justice. And I, I like threw my vomit tray across the room. Like, I'm not lying. So, but my last visit... I am so astute in other parts of my life. I love 
why I, I wanted to write a book called Generation Y, where the generation wants to know why. But I wasn't asking why behind the veil of my migraines. And I didn't, it hit me in that moment in the hospital, like, wait, tell me what cause, what is causing a migraine? And didn't have an answer. And, and they were actually getting frustrated by me asking questions about, okay, what's the mechanism? Da, 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 da. And when I realized they're getting frustrated with me, I had that light bulb of like, I'm going to figure this out, rip the IV out of my arm, march out of the hospital and just started doing my own research. What age are you? 25, 24, okay. 25. And this had been going on since you were a teenager. Since I was in second grade. Good Lord. Which I talked about in a solo episode about how I didn't really start to feel sick on a regular basis until I started to more regularly eat school lunches and not the Egyptian Mediterranean food at home. And you don't know this in the moment. You're just... Sure, never even heard of that. Because I, I had migraines when I was really young. Like I have memory, I have memories at a year young age that don't even make sense. But I remember being at my babysitter's house. I must have been two or three. And if I think back, I'm like, oh, anytime I had a migraine, I wasn't with my mom eating her food. I was eating someone else's food. So fast forward, I'm trying to understand the mechanism of a migraine. I stumble upon the TED Talk by Dr. Terry Walls about the mitochondrial function. I'm like, all right, how do we support the mitochondria? And then I have this moment where I'm like, oh, shit, in high school, I studied the mitochondria. My lab partner and I rewrote the words to a Beastie Boy song about <laughs> fighting for your right to right. ATP. And then stumbled upon autoimmune disease and celiac disease. I was like, let's send out my own lab work. So I sent out a stool sample, a cheek swab. That came back that I had celiac disease. I was pumped. I was like, great, I'll just stop eating these foods. Yeah, I'm like stoked. My friend at the same time got the same diagnosis. She's sobbing, crying. And I'm like, we got some food. I'm like, no, I actually told her, I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is so dope. Like, you understand that we're just going to feel so much better. Took her longer to get to that path. I don't think she had been pain as long as I had had been, so she was feeling a little more devastated. But I was doing this research on, okay, this is what I'm going to eat. This is how I'm going to cook. Great. In three months, all of that went away. That I experienced in my whole life. I removed gluten, dairy, and soy. And uh, people were noticing in my workplace, like, hey, you, <laughs> you don't look like you're suffering as much. What are you doing different? And at that time, paleo is becoming a thing that's being said. And that was so much easier to say than mm-hmm. gluten, casein, and soy. And somebody in tech asked me, you always cook. Can you just make me these meals? I want to see these differences in my body. And I was in my ego. I was like, I don't fucking cook for people. I manage multi-million dollar contracts. And he was like, I'll throw some money. This is the amount I'll pay for a chef. And I was like, wait. You can in San Francisco, you can make good money and still be broke. I was like, this is a cool side hustle. Sure. So I saw it as a side hustle. I, within a few weeks, was getting my wisdom teeth removed because it was coiled and being giving me a lot of problems. And when they put me under, when I came to the the oral surgeon, said, I'm so excited you're going to be my private chef. So my subconscious made the choice for me. Wild. So I tried to roll with my corporate job and the chef stuff for a while. And I, basically exhausted my body. So I had to pick one or the other. Had a serendipitous serendipitous moment at the ferry building. And because paleo was getting popular at the time, I bought the URL personal paleo chef and paleo personal chef. So if you Googled personal paleo chef, I'm the only one doing it. You think you're getting a meal prepper. And I'm like, no, I need your blood, stool, hair, et cetera. They're like, whoa, this is really detailed. And because I was the only one doing it, I got celebrities, athletes, authors, CEOs very quickly. And when they saw it was different than what they expected, that's where the referral business started. 
So I rolled with that in San Francisco for about a year and my gut just said, you got to go. You got to go somewhere else. And and it destroyed me to make that decision. And I talked to Carl about it. I talked to Amit about it. Gave myself How a How long had you known Carl at that time? I've known, at that point, I'd known Carl for two and a half, three years at that time. I think it's amazing too that you're such, at such a young age when you can see the cause and effect from your diet and how you feel. I never thought about that till I don't know, I was in my 20s or 30s. I mean, it's, it's like wild. way down the line. And I still didn't even, I just started, right? I understood it on a top, like a topical level. Like I don't have pain anymore. But as I started to throw myself into performance chefing at an elite level, mm -hmm. I'm like, holy shit, yeah. the case studies here, the things that we're doing across industries, whether it's basketball, soccer, if it's a, a woman who's um, older and trying to get pregnant, the changes there, the autoimmune disorders, the treatment of late stage cirrhosis, like there's so much stuff that I didn't understand the true connection on a more detailed level and how if you don't have all the parties, so in sports organizations, you have a director of performance, and he manage he or she or they manages everything that goes into the athlete's programming. So food, movement. Nutrition is always overlooked and it pisses me off. Really? They just focus on the topical, like how many um, macronutrients and make the food a little bit healthier. It drives me insane, but it also means there's a ton of upside. But going back to you have an organization that has a director of performance. I think everyone should be the director of their own wellness, the director of their own performance. And they need to put their primary care physician on the same string as their OB, on the same string as their trainer, on the same string as the acupuncturist. Everyone should be talking to each other because all the information you're gathering from all these different parties can inform what you're going to do with your nutrition. People don't think, like, if I go see a soft tissue worker, my athletes do, the soft tissue worker will call me afterwards. He felt he felt really sticky and stiff today. Or, you know, I felt some, like, clicking. I'm like, great, I'll, I'll help what I, in my lane right. in some way. And then I'll get an acupuncturist call me, like, whatever you change in the diet, I can feel it when I'm needling them. Like, there needs to be that sort of communication. The only time I've, I've done that is with a, a, a trainer, a physical trainer, acupuncturist, and, and my body worker. Mm -hmm. And he set all that up and talked about the synergy of that. But to add nutrition to that is, a, I mean, the levels are amazing of, like, uh, how you can shave off, the, like, really get precise in, yeah. your, in your mission. Yeah. So which, cool. But it brings me to something I, I've heard you say before. Which hi Tate, welcome, hi. welcome to the e Play Crush podcast. Thank you, thank you, <laughs> pleasure to be here. Some people know what they want to do, and some people just show up for the day, mm. and they do their best that day, and they build upon it for the next day. And I, I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I've heard you say you were just showing up for the moment and building upon that, and then at some point you turned around. I'm like, whoa, I built a body of work just by showing up each day. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people feel like they need to know and they feel lost because they don't know. And it's really just about right now. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that way by default, like in a rear view mirror situation, I maybe if I'd have had more confidence, I would have felt like, oh, I could direct this somewhere or something like that. But I was coming from such a deficit in so many regards that I was like, if there's a God in this universe, what is it that I'm to be? Mm -hmm. And and the resounding thing that came back 
is happy in good humor. Mm -hmm. You're most useful that way. Mm -hmm. You're you're less um, uh, scary to your fellows. You're, you're like all of that stuff. And so inside of that idea, it was like, well, do what you love and then build on that. And then what I find in the rearview mirror is that that's the right way because all these things then dovetail together to make this body that is Tate. Right. And um, and I see other people like I see like a. Like Logan, I think is very directed in the way he, in the way he moves, and the yeah. way he does, and he understands process right. and performance right. and function and outcome. Right. And I've never had the talk with him. I don't know how he feels about outcome. The way I feel about outcome is it's not my business. Mm. My business is to be in the good work of things, mm -hmm. and and this trust that I built with the universe that it's going to unfold exactly as it is right. to, to make me the most useful with the most purpose that I can be right. as Tate in this time. Right. And, and I think there's something like that. I don't know that that's the only way to go. Right. I just know that it's the way that I did it. And then I do know that when I do talk to Logan about performance and about things like that and how we got here, yeah. he's blown away because he's like, Wait, you didn't you didn't believe you could, but you did anyway, right. or, or what? Like things like that, right? right? He's like, I was the greatest baseball player ever to live when I was eight years old. I <laughs> yeah. knew that. I knew that going all, you know. Yeah. And so these kinds of things about um, following somebody else's path is like, I don't know that that's a thing, but I do know that it takes a lot of inner work to find out what you might love. Right. Even to know what you love in this life right. is a difficult ask right. for a lot of folks, right. you know? And as we mature, that changes. And so to follow those threads, I think, uh, you know, that's the way that I've, I've uh, woven myself anyway. Right. And at this point in my life, I also couldn't be happier about that. I don't see a mistake in the thing. I don't see hardship. Yeah. I don't see, I see that everything that's ever happened has built my legs so that I can carry the life that I have today of, of, uh, of, of, of usefulness. Yeah, and you saying you're happy. You always make... I, I've never hung out with you not cried. Because <laughs> your joy brings me tremendous joy. Like going back to the body of Tate, you're an intimidating looking guy, right? I've heard and <laughs> people say unapproachable but, sometimes. But no, you are quite the opposite. You're the most approachable person. I don't think it's an act, but you're very aware of like show up with a smile, show up with warmth. Yeah. I mean, have you always been the stature? Like, let's take it back. Have you always been the big kid on the on the playground? Yeah, dude, always. I was a, a, a head, like, I, there's a picture of me playing hockey in Michigan. I grew up in northern Michigan. So in the wintertime, back before we, we were too young to, like, run a snowmobile. And so a snowmobile, if you're from California, is uh, <laughs> has a long track on it that's all, like, a rubberized track that just rolls over itself, much like a bulldozer, and it will flatten the ground that it goes over. Uh, that will be the track that it'll leave. It'll be, you know, three feet wide, whatever. But before then, you'd get your buddy on a shovel, and he'd jump on the <laughs> shovel as you're pulling it along to flatten the yeah. snow. And then you get the garden hose out, and you freeze all the snow, Sounds and you make awful. an ice rink, right? <laughs> and so we make ice rinks in the backyard because yeah. we love hockey. But there's a picture of us in, like, my neighbor's backyard, and I'm literally everybody else is maybe up to my chest. Yeah. I'm a full head, head and a half taller than everybody uncoordinated, the the whole thing, you know, feel like I just want to be small. I'd like to disappear, yeah. self-conscious. Yeah. Um, and, and all of that is, is, is how that begins, you know, as far as like attitude and, you know, highly depressed for a, a long time, uh, drug addiction, alcoholism, all, all the things when that, did that, that start? are mm, 11, 12 freedom smelled like freedom to me. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, this makes me feel like 
it could be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how it begins. <laughs> when but, you say it would be okay, was life. it, was it, yeah, was it just the, how you, there's like the things that happen to us or happen around us or happen for us if we want to get spiritual. Sure, sure. And then there is, we want a signal. Right. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then there is, I'm like this. I've just been highly aware and highly sensitive my whole life. And when you say, I just, I want, I want, things can be okay. For me, when I hear that, I hear like, can this sensation in my body be okay? Cause I've, I've made peace with, um, trauma and endings and suffering, but it's that the noise in my body that I always feel. And so when you say it can be okay, are you referring to something that's happening acutely in your life at the time? Or is it the way you respond to the world? You know, there's been a lot of different wallpaper in my life. So all those acute things that, um, for sure, there's at different eras, there's always something to point to. But underneath all that is this vibration of like um, feeling dislocated from life. Mm-hmm. And with the advent for me of, uh, of drugs, of booze, of being in another state, being able to control my, my moments and yeah. my emotions, I felt like I'd clicked in and like, ah. Oh, yeah. Now there's consequence and there's deleterious effects that come from that. But for me, there was just all asset. You know, when, when your life is kind of uh, chaos or there's that vibration like that, right. fuck, the other thing feels great, man. Right. And and I feel like that's probably saved me from suicide for a long time. Right. Um, that's also, interesting to, to hear that. Because yeah. people would, would be like, well, this is terrible. But well, he like, got into oh. drugs and then he killed himself. No, man, that little fucker was trying to save his life with drugs. Yeah. And then it just got too heavy. Yeah. Like I... I I have a real understanding and uh, empathy of that. Um, And also, in the face of that, it goes to say, too, that it's not necessary. If somebody kills themselves, I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's not necessary, is what I've found, is that from somebody that really felt like he needed to for for years, you know, for um, over a decade, probably. Right, I identify that. It makes people uncomfortable when I tell them, like, I understand why somebody would. And I also understand there's... If you for you to think that you could have stopped it, mm. all that too, and then the whole like, oh man, if I only showed up for them, and and I actually get really frustrated with some people that we actually both know where when somebody does commit suicide, there's this big posting and like, if only I knew, and da da da. da. Mm-hmm. I'm like, just FYI, there's a lot of motherfuckers still here that you're very aware of sure. are going through that path. So why don't you take a beat from that posting and and like. Just go show up. I mean, those same people. <laughs> like, so, like, I, I had a horrible head injury, you know, in 2019. Yeah. And that was all the suicide revisited. Right. I've got neurogenic tremors. I'm stuttering. I uh, The sunlight hurts me. Any yeah. noise puts me into a psychic. Like, I'm sobbing on the couch every day for a couple of years. Um, and I'm in that position. Those same people you're talking about, I, there's no phone calls. Right. Come, come. And so it's like, you know, m- miss me with the long eulogy about how much I meant to right. you. Right. <laughs> I was here for the whole time that I never heard. Right. That, and, and not that anybody needs to, because what are you going to say? I understand that. And I understand that those kinds of posts are probably signaling about what a virtuous guy you are. Right. And cool. Or it's guilt, too. How, it's however, shame and all However that. we need yeah. to feel. But, like, the best thing that this guy, Feng Chow, he said to me... Um, and he's a fledgling comic trying to make it, trying to get by. And and he he'd called during during that time and he says, uh, he says, Oh, what are you doing? You know, and, and what's going on? And and uh, 
said, you know, just uh, went for a ride with Hank. My pup Hank was still alive at that time. And um, I, I was able to go out for a drive last night and uh, with Hank and my pistol looking for courage to shoot myself in the chest and um, just watching some Netflix. And uh, that's about it. What are you up to? And, yeah. and, and it was just like that kind of a thing. And, and he goes, you know, Tate, because we'd lived through a, a friend of ours, uh, Brody Stevens had hung himself a couple years before that. And everybody says, you know, and, and Fung Chow and I, we'd laughed about this, is that everybody says, oh, if only this and only that and da-da-da. And it's like, and the laugh came from nobody that feels that way is ever reaching out. If only he'd have called. Guess what? The motherfucker's not calling. He's in a spot where he's going to... Recluse. And so he says, but I want, I know you're not going to call Tate, but I want you to know the next time you're riding around in your truck with your gun looking to shoot yourself in the chest, I want you to know that Fung Chow is in your chest, that I'm there with you. And that idea of putting a bullet through somebody else, like that love, like it's just stuck with me. And it yeah. really was a perspective shift for me in a huge way. So anyway, but, and, and that's an aside, these are horrible brain injuries that I'd su sustained that I'd had a yeah. whole lifetime of a Which concussion. Which I, I want to get and into. And it's a different thing yeah. than I think regular depression and all that. I think there's a whole, we could speak for hours on, on that kind of um, mental health and what yeah. to come, come to from it. But in the healing from that, you know, I will say, as somebody that had had a concussive life, until I started to get better, I didn't know how sick I was. Right. And I feel like that happens, like what, whether it's celiacs, whether right. it's whatever. Until I start feeling better, I have no idea how far down the rabbit hole I am because I'm just maintaining. And right. so what somebody's level zero of comfort at, maybe my level zero would be a six for that. Right, right. You know, it's like when I broke my elbow and they didn't think I, my elbow was broken because right. I wasn't like reacting in the same way. I'm like, no, shit's pretty bad. Like, yeah. it's bad. I'm going to walk down the hill. It was snowboarding. And uh, the guy next to me in the curtain is screaming his head off. I'm like, oh, damn, what's wrong with him? Right. They're like, he sprained his thumb. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then they finally do the X-ray. They're like, "I have no idea how you're okay. You've like you broke your elbow." And I'm like, "I told you, it's a level 10. It's it's trouble." But my my ability to like maintain yeah, throws cool. people off, and I think that's a big misconception with either the stature of a strong person right. or the perception of someone who's always got it. Is you don't realize how heavy it is because I've got it. Yeah. And then when you have a space, I told Logan this. I was like, "There's very few people on this planet when I sit." across from them that I feel like I don't have to be the coach. Right. And then once I realize I don't have to be the coach, I feel like, wow, I've been actually holding a lot of really sad emotions. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Because I had a moment to be soft yeah. and I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm not okay. But it's what a gift to know I'm not okay. So I can address it. But, um, so we jumped from creating a, uh, ice rink. Yeah. Yeah. To the, the moment where right. you're after, which by the way, I only got a little note of you not being well in 2019 through Lacey, and yeah. I assumed it was COVID. I didn't yeah. know until a year later yeah. about the injury. You know, yeah, there, there was nothing to say, and I was like, I don't know that I'm going to last. So it's not like like I'd stop my podcast. I just stopped everything. Yeah. Because you know? um, I was like, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dark, but I get it. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> see how this plays out? Not sure. Don't want to get anybody's hopes up. <laughs> Got a timer going. <laughs> Fuck. 
Um, um, yes. But I want to I want to catch people up. I mean, so yeah. when I met you, and this happened with Salema, this happened with Antonia. This happens with a lot of people that I meet. A deuce. I meet you guys for who you are in the moment. I think you're incredible. And then it's not until we're out in public where I'm like. Are you a big deal? Why is everyone staring at you? <laughs> like, wait, what? Wait, 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 what's going on? So I'm I'm sure I'm the one that was naive to your body of work. And I don't want to misintroduce you how okay. you want to be introduced today. But like tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you've built and what you've created. I want no, I don't want you to be humble either. Just tell the facts. Well, the 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 facts are, you know, when I got tired of living how I was living and I needed a change and I started to shift my life and my focus and have like a psychic change in my life that would uh, bring about different results than I was getting throughout my childhood and, and teen and early 20s, I moved into a position of that I'd like to be uncommon. Mm-hmm. I'm not like the others that I see mm-hmm. and I want to dig into that. Yeah. And so that was one of the primary things that I started thinking about and I didn't know what that was. I just knew different because I saw masses and the way masses and mobs moved. And I was like, not for me. Thanks. You know what I mean? Because there's no, there's no personalized values in that. There's no ideals or integrity to a mob. And, and, uh, when I saw most of the world in the newspapers and everything moving that I was like, I'm going to dip out. And then everybody was also saying, you know, you've got to do things that are, um, that have some kind of a, a end in them so that you can be safe. You know, you're going to have mm-hmm. to have some some kind of a safe road for yourself. And I considered that, but I was never good at that. Like, I never Wait, really... what did you consider that would have been safe like, for you? Perhaps, I'd be a, perhaps I would go into law or psychology. You would have been the most terrifying <laughs> attorney. Are you kidding me? You'd come in and I'd be like, we rest our case. We're good. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was early on. I, I was like, I had ideas like that, and um, you know, and, and a lot of that was like looking at uh, idealized senses of justice and um, equality and functional like uh, movement, like society wise and individual wise, right. and how those mix and and what all that. And so, you know, I, I thought well, maybe there there should be more balancing here, and I'd like to be on this side of things that balances those. Looking at that stuff, I, I, I was, you know, school never really took for me, and um, uh, I, I didn't really fit in with the people that were there. By the time that I got there, I was a couple years older uh, than everybody else, which when you're, you know, 21 and they're 18, it seems like a, there's a chasm that you just can't. And so I went on, and I just started, um, I met this guy that uh, was into stick fighting. Uh, and so I started stick fighting with him and, um, and he was out of, uh, Thailand, Krabi Kabrong style, which is a dual stick, uh, precursor to like, you know, there's distances, there's, there's missile weapons, bows mm-hmm. or spears, and then there's like staffs and there's sticks and there's knives, and then you're in a clinch and the, or then maybe you're kickboxing mm-hmm. and then you're grappling. And so there's these different levels of like w- what the space is that takes up combat and I started learning about those things and I started really getting a, a deep dive in that. And I started at that time meditating. I started, you know, really looking to have a conscious contact with my creator and to try to um, guide myself to higher purposes. And I tried mm-hmm. to raise standards in myself that that I couldn't meet, that, that but I wanted to shoot high, you know. Guy that, this old cowboy, he was a U.S. Marshal and he was a Vietnam vet that had said, uh, he had a tattoo on him that said, I am he who has become death. And uh, 
and he he was part of a crew in Vietnam that I mean had a heinous life his history mm -hmm. and then he was this artist that I met right that was pouring mm -hmm. coffee and, and he had this art studio and um and he says it's better to shoot at something and miss it than than shoot at nothing and hit it mm -hmm. and uh and he says you know and I was asking about I'll, I'll anyway I got a lot of wisdom from these guys you're a very and inquisitive I just, person I started I getting after it yeah. you know and and he's like you know there's participants and there's spectators and nobody gives a shit about a spectator. Mm -hmm. Like, get into it, develop yourself. And so that became a, a, a fomenting point of my life. And and I and I started to, you know, get to. Oh, this is a biography. This is too long. Um, no, so not. Then I, so are then you I, kidding so me? Then I, I got into, you know, I, I, uh, I, Arlen Sanford was my coach in Krabi Cabrong. And then that segued from stick fights. You know, guys would crash if the sticks got too hot and they'd be on the ground. And if you weren't an American wrestler or new jujitsu, you were lost. Wait, so the stick fighting could naturally progress to yeah, forward? Yeah, it was a full contact fight. Because I would do, I do Muay Thai over here. And then I have someone else that teaches me um, stick fighting. But I think it's out, I think it's a Philippine. Filipino form of stick uh -huh. fighting yeah, where yeah. you just stay up. Yeah, Kali. If you could combine the two, that that would be so, so much So that's what the Dog Brothers me. were doing. They they took rules away. The, yeah. the guys that started the Dog Brothers were a guy named Eric Knaus and uh, Arlen Sanford. And then this guy, Mark Denny, he was the lawyer that wrote it all up and ended up um, kind of uh, spearheading a whole different thing. But um, these two guys, they fought at an international stick fighting competition, and they're heavily armored. And so at the end of it, they took first and second. And Eric says to Arlen, he says, I'm not satisfied that I would have been able to continue had you come across my head like that and I wasn't wearing armor. And he goes, what are you doing the rest of the weekend? And Arlen was from Santa Fe. And he goes, uh, I'm just going to kick it here at the hotel and then I'm going to go home on Monday. And he says, you want to go back to my house in Long Beach and we can fight and we can figure it out? And he goes, sure. And so he invites them to go fight at his house and they go in the backyard and they get batting gloves yeah. and, a, and a, a fencing mask, which is like a screen door for your face so your eyes don't cut. Yeah. And they fight, knock each other out a couple times, break some fingers, and they find out more about themselves, their arts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, before then people were saying, oh, if you got hit with a stick, you'd die. Like all this kind of stuff about like what the magic of Kung Fu is. And, and it's like, there was a lot of arts out there that would claim things. And they're like, we need to know the actual truth about this. Yeah. And so that's where the dog brothers came from was that kind of thinking their, their motto is higher consciousness through harder contact, which when a stick's swinging by your head, which self is it that you're defending? Yeah. Right. Um, and so that, that became the first organized fights that I'd ever done mm -hmm. was that. And then when I found this ground fighting, you know, and because that was natural, one of my favorite things is a big overhand caveman swipe followed up by a right kick up into your armpit as you go to block it. And I've knocked guys out with that, like with body. It's, it's, it's so it, there's a lot of beauty that you can do when you start to mix all these arts together. Yeah. And that's the way Krabi Cabrong was, was Muay Thai. But then after that, you lose the stick. And now what? Well, you better close the distance because you're in strike. He, he can bite you from there. Yeah. And so you want to, take guys down. And so when that started happening, I started going, God, I got to learn this other thing. And, and I got mesmerized by uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And um, so anyway, I started there and I started competing everywhere mm -hmm. because I didn't know who I was unless I competed. I could say, oh, I'm the best guy in my school. What does that mean? Were you athletic? 
uh, never be, well before then I played hockey and stuff, but I was you know I was a a, a ne'er do well criminal uh, junkie uh, uh, alcoholic like <laughs> that was my life. I never expressed, let me let me rephrase I never the question. Expressed any athleticism? Um, okay, you may not have lived athleticism, but were you were you flexible? Were you fast? Were you strong? Were I got you that way. graceful? I built, I built myself into that way. Okay. Yeah, I, I became what I formed myself to the art. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to, you know, I, on my phone, there's on the first flip phone, to, and it just said relentless across the street. Yeah. I wanted this relentless pursuit of this thing. Yeah. I wanted a tenacity. I wanted to have, you know, everybody's got a breaking point. I wanted mine to be unreachable. Yeah. And so I just built this toughness. I go, maybe I'm not the best. Yeah. But I can be better conditioned and I'll last. And, and if, you know, if we get down the road, you're going to be it'll be anyway (laughs) and so so that's what that's and that's the way my coach was yeah he was he was like that he was an american that went to brazil to go train with brazilians that aren't welcoming to americans and like it's like you'd be tough or you'd be gone and so that's the kind of fire that i was born into yeah and at jackson's mma where uh, i finished my career and and and, you know at eddie bravo school at 10th planet jiu-jitsu it's all that it's like it's show and prove yeah it's like either you have this or you do not. And and if you do not and you don't want to get it, the door is here. Mm-hmm. And it and it's fine. We'd we'd rather you go because if you're not gonna exhibit these same kind of values that we have, this honor code that we have of like we want everybody to get better, you know, the 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 best guys in stick fighting, they'll fight right to your level to where you think you're doing okay. Mm. Right. Because they don't want to crush you. They And and that's the thing is like the whole tribe gets stronger. Mm-hmm. And so there's this fellowship in combat arts, which is um, maybe secretive to people that are just spectators to mm-hmm. it. Right. Mm-hmm. There's another thing that's happening there uh, once people adopt people into the tribe. And I was I was uh, I'm deeply grateful for that history. And I'm glad to. Um, you know. They're, they're, they're lifelong brothers. I mean, mm-hmm. the people that I have now, the people that have helped me in my, in my head injury been like at, at Chips, a hospital, uh, they, uh, they helped me with stem cells, hyperbarics. These are guys that were OGs in, in MMA. And, uh, one guy owns like on the mat, uh, OTM is a big jujitsu shop and one of their moms got cancer. And so they started a Gerson juicing hospital and they started a cancer remediation mm-hmm. hospital down in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, and 20 years later, they're like, yes, take, come, and we can mm-hmm. help you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's, there's been this community. And, mm-hmm. and I guess that's the thing is, oh, anyway, the people, biography. People throw around the word community a lot these days. I don't think, I don't think we understand it as it's presented today. Cause what you're talking about is community and yeah. in brotherhood. Now words like, community is thrown around and vulnerability is thrown around and the vocabulary and facial expressions and the sh- the showmanship about it has been memorized. Mm. But when a push comes to shove, this is what we're missing today. I think this is where a lot of people may end up going down a dark path because they don't, they're confusing it for something else. It's one of the things that I think that I wanted when I was, I want it, I want it to be like, I decide a thing and I can flip a switch and I can make that happen. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't know, you know, like that it would take years. I want to meditate and I want to have a result. Yesterday. That's the way it, <laughs> that, that that's the way a drink is. That's the way it is if you smoke a joint. Yeah. Like, why can't I have that? Yeah. And I had no idea about the intimate relationship that you could grow with things to go slowly and pay consistent effort to mm-hmm. with the unknown faith that something would happen. And you don't know about that until it's in the rearview mirror. Right. And so those kinds of things for me, like with, with this building, I mean, 
so anyway, I have a whole fight career for about eight years. I fight MMA after I'm done, like on the circuit of jujitsu, and and uh, and then that goes into the stunt world, you know. And, and and I'm giving it away to kids. I'm like teaching jujitsu and kickboxing to whoever I can. I start a CrossFit gym. I want it all under one roof because yeah, when and I was, no rush. By the way, all the details of the story are well, what make you who you are. So it's like you're you're being accepted or welcomed into this community you are embodying and learning and learning patience through that and at what point do you realize i want to teach this and i want to have my own gym and what motivates you to do that i would come home from la i was out here training with eddie bravo at 10th planet and uh and doing bodyguard work for rogan at the time and i would go back for fight camps um Mm -hmm. and uh and train at jackson's and then i would go up and there was this little boxing gym uh called undisputed and and it was um my friend marcos aragon and uh and chacho taylor uh started it and it was just like a community center they wanted a place for kids chacho's one of the best fathers I ever know a single dad he he's got uh four different kids that he's raised and they're the most beautiful humans ever and uh and and, and marcos has just always been an innovator since he was little he's such a hustler he's in high school and he's calling because he finds out like the land rovers that are totaled um if you sell them on the east coast you can get more or on the west coast you can get more money than the east coast so he would call and find out what are totaled land rovers and he would get a shipping car on a train he's 16 years old and he's moving 10 trucks over and he's making 800 bucks a truck <laughs> on the flip kid. like he's this. like that kind of mind yeah. right? beautiful guys these guys and I'd come back and, and they're, they're my homies. You know, Chachler taught me how, how to throw a jab and how to jump rope, you mm-hmm. know, back in the day. And so, and they go, hey, would you teach some classes? So I start teaching jujitsu to, to these kids that are there. Yeah. And it's, it's great. And I, and I hate leaving every time I got to yeah. leave to go back to L.A. Was I'm that like, the first time you were put in a position to lead and teach and coach? Well, no, I'd run classes for guys before and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I taught at other guys' schools. Did that come naturally? before. Yeah, I think because um, the process of jujitsu is is so much about um, there's no palaver. It's like you cut all the fat off to get the most precise move that works. And if the move works for me and it doesn't move work for you, mm-hmm. it's not a good move. If I if a, if if a woman that's not as strong as me can't do this thing, mm-hmm. then that's not a proper use of weight. Like I need it to be so that it wins. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so under the conditions of competition about mm-hmm. somebody's going to fight back against you, I needed to have good process mm-hmm. and all my coaches had good process. Mm-hmm. And so, and I knew that process and, and, and I love to give that to people. It was, mm-hmm. it was a thrill for me to see mm-hmm. people turn on and go, Oh my God. Cause mm-hmm. it's like you're teaching somebody magic mm-hmm. in a way it's wild. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I love doing that. And then as, as it went on, as my, uh, uh, I, I took, I'd ended up taking what ended up being my last fight. And, and, um, and I go, man, I'd like to have a gym. I'd like to live in Santa Fe, but the problem in Santa Fe is like a lot of people are like retiring and like, I mean, and not retiring like from their age. I mean, just like there'll be 23 year old guys. They're like, man, when I was younger, I would have done that. But I was, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. and so you're dealing with people that aren't really reaching for excellence in a lot of ways. And I was like, there's gotta be more people that are. And, and, uh, so I started undisputed, which started off as a CrossFit and jujitsu gym. Mm-hmm. And then I brought in Muay Thai and then, I mean, guys got excited. Then yoga came, somebody wanted to do that. And so I did that because as a young athlete, 
I, you know, I got to go and I got to pay a boxing coach. Mm -hmm. And then I got to go to another place to get jujitsu. I got to go to another place to get wrestling. Mm -hmm. Like none of these are combined the way they are today. I got to go to another place for physical fitness. Mm -hmm. And so I'm driving down to CrossFit LA before Andy Petranic had moved it over to uh, Santa Monica and it's over on like in an alley. And uh, this girl, Becca Borowski, had turned me on to it because she was at my jiu-jitsu class. She's like, this is a great strength and conditioning thing. So that was like in 2004 or something like that. It was like that. It was early. Is um, And so that's kind of what I modeled my gym after. I mm -hmm. wanted to do something like that. The only problem with that is, is that you need coaches for all that, and they have to be paid. And I was the only one that knew all the different modalities. And also to pay somebody, it's like, I, I don't have any money. I'm paying to keep the lights on right, right now. Right. So I'm bodyguarding to keep the lights on for this place. But it was just the same way fighting was. Fighting didn't pay like it does now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm running security at a nightclub. Mm -hmm. That's my day job, that it's a night job so that I can train in the daytime, mm -hmm. you know? And so I'm, I've always been the one, and, and then I'm cleaning the bathroom at, at, at Fred's gym so that I can get a membership at his gym to lift weights. Whatever it takes. You know takes. what I mean? And like, so whatever it it's takes. like, that's the thing. And like, like I started saying, there's like, everybody wants to flip a switch and think that it's done. And it's like, no, it's, 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 it's cleaning a thousand toilets. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's going through. Uh, you know, 10,000 repetitions of the thing that like, yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. And it's the thing about suspending the what, what I know, yeah, I know, so that I can dig deeper into the underlying whys of what this movement is or this idea is. And in that way, jujitsu, that whole process, meditation, it taught me to slow down mm -hmm. to a point where I could appreciate things, the, 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 the succulence of things in a deeper way than I ever had before, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And when I started to put that under the, um, you know, the microscope of competition, those things increased mm -hmm. because then the seconds become precious. Mm -hmm. Wrong movement becomes death. Yeah. Like, and so in this kind of thing of like, what are seconds and centimeters worth? Fucking yeah. everything. Yeah. Right. She who hesitates. Yeah. Dies, loses. Is lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, and that becomes the thing. And then, and then becomes the, another great question. Were you out there competing and you're trying not to lose or were you trying to win? Mm -hmm. Are you trying to save face and just mm -hmm. not lose mm -hmm. or are you throwing everything at it? Mm -hmm. And that idea that like, if I don't throw everything at whatever it is I'm doing and I'm trying to look good or I'm trying, if I have other ideas besides that, mm -hmm. I don't get as good at the end. The idea being there's a rub with athletes. If one athlete goes against another athlete that's way better than them, and they give their all, they'll be better for the experience, right? right? right the other right. athletes that that athlete's used to playing with won't be able to touch them anymore, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If that same athlete doesn't throw everything against that athlete in the way that they can because they think they're better than me anyway, I just kind of want to do okay, you won't get as good a rub. Mm -hmm. You won't be as benefited by that experience as you would be if you had Short tried. changing everyone And I learned things like that. Yeah. And I didn't know that before. Yeah. And so I'm just a kid that's trying to pick up these uh, universal laws, I guess, mm -hmm. um, that are immutable. That are, I mean, it, they're there for you. It's, you know, it's like a dude started talking about the law of reciprocation. And he goes, do you know what reciprocation is? I go, yeah. It's like, you give me something, I give you something back. We reciprocate. And, he goes, well, that's not what I'm talking about. He goes, the universal law of reciprocation, everybody thinks if they win the lotto, then they'll help people. And I want to suggest to you, Tate, that when you help other people is when you'll receive. Like, they're, they're, you're, not, you're not waiting to get somewhere. You're looking to be helpful. 
Mm-hmm. Are you a helpful person when the flip switch? No, you're helpful now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, those kinds of psychic shifts for me changed my character into a way that um, that I could build and that I could listen and that I could learn in a different way than I had previously. And that mm-hmm. kind of arced my life differently. When that started happening, you know, and I like when I'd taken my last fight then, um, you know, it's cold when the lights go off. Like, mm-hmm. who are you now? Mm-hmm. So you're not this thing that you put all these years into. Mm-hmm. Wow, you put years into that. And then you ran the fucking wheels off it. And now who are you? And and all I could think was, you want to be helpful. And so I, went, I would go, well, I'm going to start this gym where I think maybe there's people here in Santa Fe that want to reach higher too. And, and then lo and behold, there were, and Mm -hmm. you know, that was, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. And it still runs today. You know, my friend Lorenzo Hernandez took it over. One of my black belts, Ruben Rivera runs a Mm jujitsu program in Muay Thai there. Ruben's great. And uh, yeah, he's fantastic. And, um, multifaceted, multi-talented. What up Ruben? Totally. (laughs) Totally. And so that, that's kind of, uh, where that came from and and then as that was happening i I'd, I'd gotten into stunt work yeah in the film industry now before that how does somebody get into stunt work is somebody like are you discovered do you yes. throw yourself into an audition all the things <laughs> some guys like i said some guys go through life and they want to direct it mm-hmm. well this is where i want to go in life for me, I'm working a door at a nightclub called the Paramount, and uh, or one of my guys is, and he calls me up. I get a radio call, and and he goes, uh, um, he says, "Hey, uh, we got some guys at the front door that uh, need to talk to you." And I'm, All right. And the last time that that was is like <laughs> it was a, a a train of motorcycles outside, right? And it's the banditos, and they're out there, and I'm going, you know, and there's three of us there, and I'm like. I can't have you in with colors. You know what I mean? Because it was just like a thing. Like we got a lot of gang violence, yeah, and yeah. it's like, and uh, and so I was like, oh, we'll see what happens this time. And so <laughs> I go up and like that, and that's what I liked about the nightclub business is because every day is a new day. It's yeah. like let's let's do the next yeah. thing. You know, let's see that's what the next excitement is. How I met is. the Ukrainian mobster that introduced me is to Carl, right? by the way, was the night scene. Yeah, and the Ukrainian mobster, I heard him ordering something I knew they were not going to have at the bar. And so I was like, oh, this is what I want to recommend instead. And we just got into a conversation. And um, he goes, I'm very sorry. I, I think you prostitute, but you're a very smart lady. And we Amazing. became friends. <laughs> you're like, well, thank you very and much. Then, and then he introduced me to someone else who basically kept eyes on me, like to protect me when yeah. they were not. It's, it's very deep history over here. So cool. And then they, that person was like, um, hey, I, I really want to introduce you to someone that I think you are in the same industry. And I showed up to a brunch, super hungover, just like still mascara. And I'm like laying there waiting for them to come to lunch. And then um, him and Carl come. Carl's a very handsome man. And I was like, yeah. oh, fuck. <laughs> let, me, like, <laughs> let me look a little more presentable. And, and together we, he holds space in a way. I mean, his attractiveness very much, is yeah. energetic. I mean, he also did a handstand off the table. Yeah, but nice. um, it's off. it's some of the greatest people so I know. Some of the greatest. And he did it in a nice, nice, nice oh, bar, sure. right? But, um, yeah, the night scene to me, it's got its obvious cons, but it also has its amazing stories and pros. Yeah. The, the, that community <laughs> in there was, is, is amazing. 
yeah. I mean, with, with, you know, we've got gangsters on some nights that come and we got, <laughs> we got drag queens, we got everybody. I mean, it's, it yeah. was amazing Come time. as you are. Okay. So you get called time. to the front, not to derail. It was Master P and all his guys. Now, Master P, Rap Road of Louisiana, No Limit Records. He's doing No Limit Films. So he's putting out all these little films and they say, hey, we need some big white boys for this movie we're doing out at the prison. Um, and there's a defunct prison in Santa Fe where there's a big riot in 1980, which there's a book called The Devil's Butcher Shop, which is a harrowing book about, about that. Um, but anyways, uh, so there's an empty prison that they shoot films at. We shot The Longest Yard there also. A bunch of movies get shot there. And, uh, and so I get a part on that. And that's like in 2000 or something like that, or 99. It's like a long, it's, and I go and I work for a month on it. I was like, dope. And so that's where I got a SAG card mm -hmm. was to do that. And there's this guy, this Navy SEAL that's running the thing. And, uh, and he's doing all the action stuff and all that. So I'd have some fights. I fall off of a third tier of the prison back into it. All this and you stuff. know how to fall because of all yeah, the work I just, that you've I've done been, beforehand. I've been, I've been training. Yeah. I've, I've been, I've been uh, just traveling around. At the end of the movie, Keith Willard's his name. And, and Keith says, hey, kid, you, you should, you know, I got a guest house in Woodland Hills. She come out and stay at the guest house. There's a bunch of work out there and everything. You move great. Da, 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 da. I go, man, thanks. <laughs> I'm just a kid from Michigan. That doesn't seem reasonable to me. Mm -hmm. And I only got to work this one job. And then I'm, I'm doing this, uh, you know, I'm traveling around the world doing doing uh, grappling matches. And, and I'm getting into fights. I'm supposed to have my first fight this summer. Thanks a lot, though, for the pipe dream, you know. like, yeah. And good to meet you. And we'll see you on the flip. And uh, so that's the last time I see Keith. And that's, like I said, like 2000. And then I go on in a whole different direction for the next 10 years or something like that. And then in like 2010, this guy walks into my gym who is an X Games athlete named Darren Prescott. And I never chased film at all between for that whole time. It just it seems unreasonable. And, um, and Darren is working on a show called Paul. And Paul is about a little alien that's going across the desert in the Southwest uh, with Simon Pegg and and Simon's friend Nick and so th it's like the, there's comedians and mm -hmm. there and it's and so uh, he falls in love with jujitsu and he's a great athlete so it's fun to play with him and we train a lot every day we train for a few hours and then after like a week or two he goes hey man Nate said that you got a SAG card and I go yeah I worked on this thing a while ago and I tell him about it and he goes Keith Ward Keith's in my group he's in Brand X stunts and, uh, and so then I go home. I don't know anything. I go and I look at Brandax stunts and there's like 32 guys in there. And yeah, there's Keith. I'm, wow. Cool, man. And, um, he goes, uh, he goes, so I got a couple, I got a bar fight. If you want to be in this bar fight in this show. And I go, Oh, that sounds fun. You know, I didn't really understand about payment. I didn't understand anything yeah. about it. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, cool, man. And he goes, yeah, maybe I can get you to play a soldier later. And I was like, wow, cool. I get two spaces in this film, you know? And so I do that. And then. I get a call a while later from him after it's like a couple months after the things. And at this time still, man, I've got this gym. Sure. But I'm not a good business person. Meaning I love jujitsu so much that if you come in and you go to the bar three nights a week and you spend 60 bucks a week at the bar and you're like, I just don't have any money, but I'd love to train. I'm, I don't talk to you about life choices. I'm like, well, come in and train, yeah. man. I just love to, you know, this set me free and I'd love to, you know, yeah. jujitsu should be free for everybody. Yeah. was my thinking, you know? And, yeah. And so I'm doing bodyguard, you know, and then I'm flying out of town on Wednesday because I got to go and take a kid from here to there. And I'm doing all this bodyguard work in between to pay the lights Yeah. while these guys are 
you know, anyways, so that was the, what the path was. And so then I go to Detroit on Red Dawn. Darren calls me out to do that. And I go, wow, man, he just flew me to Detroit <laughs> to do this thing. And, uh, and I go, maybe this is a new, maybe I don't need to bodyguard anymore. Maybe I could do this. And that was around after the, you know, 2008, 2009 crash. Mm -hmm. And Darren's like, dude, I know guys losing their houses. Don't give up anything you're doing. And I go, I don't know how to do anything else except, you know, throw my hat over the fence and then I got to go get my hat. And so I would just go all in. So I'd make some money on a bodyguard job. And he's like, you got to meet guys. Man, I would fly to Philadelphia then if I was in Detroit and go, hey, how you doing, man? I heard you were shooting this film here. And, and I, would, I would go, I would, I would get in, in the car. I wouldn't mm -hmm. know where I was going, mm -hmm. but I knew that the, 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 the film was shooting there. Mm -hmm. And so then I would drive to that part of town and I would look for the yellow signs that come up that are, and I would follow those until I would see base camp. Yeah. And then I would get out of the car at base camp and I would find somebody, okay, they got a radio. Hey, do you know where the stunt coordinator is? And then they don't know who you are either. Right. So I would just, they would go, oh yeah, he's over here or whatever. Or I could call him just a second. Don't call him. I'll, I'll find him. You know, I don't yeah. want to be intrusive. And I would go give my resume and a headshot to the yeah. guy. And he'd go, well, what are you doing here? I just came here to meet you, man. He goes, oh, do you live in Philly or what? And I go, no, <laughs> I just, I just flew here to meet you. He goes, well, when do you, when do you leave? And I go in a couple hours and, and he goes, and, and so that's what was my hustle. Yeah. I don't expect anything out of it. Yeah. I just want you to see me. It's I an want honest you to know. hustle. It's, and it's, so that was my thing, yeah. you know, and, and I would go that hard all the time and I would spend my last money to do it um, as long as the bills were paid at home. Yeah. And uh, and I started getting work and that was a slow thing. It's not like the, the it's not like the switch flipped. Yeah. It's like I just decided and, and I believe that I believe that whatever you put, I was just in an Uber with a guy. He's uh, um from Sudan and he was like yeah uh I'm, I go what, you, what brought you here you know he goes I want to be in the movies and so I, I did a little independent commercial and I'm doing and he's talking about all this stuff and all I said when I got out of the car is don't quit where you put your where you put your attention it it'll grow I've never seen it not I've only seen people quit mm -hmm. but people that don't quit man be the guy left in the room that can do the thing and and the, you'll succeed I swear to god mm -hmm. and that's the same way that I felt about it then it's the same way I feel now is that I just put my attention towards this thing and this thing will grow. And, mm -hmm. and so, um, and then, and then you'll build a skill set around that. That's very individuated for that particular task you're mm -hmm. doing. If you're aware and you're paying attention and all that, and you don't take it for granted and you don't get arrogant and you control your ego and, and you get focused. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a thousand things that go with it, mm -hmm. but, um, that was generally what I did. And then, you know, and then big things happened. I got gotten Breaking Bad a little mm -hmm. bit after that, and and I got a SAG award. I got to go up on stage. And then, bah, 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 bah. Now we're good. Now we're good. Now we don't have to hustle. Mm -hmm. Not wrong. Mm -hmm. There's no thing. You know what I mean? You're showing me a ring, right? There's no thing. That's just a stop. <laughs> that, no, there's a thing that happened. That was some wallpaper that was in right. yesterday's room. Right. You're in new rooms, man. And right. so I go, oh, there is nothing except the next thing, and and so. That kind of life grew. The, the, the gym still runs today. I'm in a different spot in film than I had been before. I never thought I would be in film before. Remember, I'm telling Keith, like, that's unrealistic. Yeah. Two years later, after Red Dawn, I'm in, uh, I get called out to Boston to do Equalizer. And, um, and I'm sitting down, and it's Antoine Fuqua. And, I'm like, oh my God. and I, I got a gold grill in, and my mustache is done up and all that. And he's like, Oh, dude, just like that. We want you just like, you know, and I was like, oh, cool, man. That, and um, I wasn't expecting that. Like, I was like, wow, he's this guy likes flavor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, 
and getting to meet Denzel and work with him, what a what a privilege that was. And Clay Fontenot doubled him. And I mean, to, I, like I get to work with these people that are at the the I top of the it. class, you know. I mean, and I was just like, Logan and I talk about it. Like, here? how do we get in this how room? Like, uh... <laughs> and so then I'm I I and the guy that's running the show uh, is Keith Willard. And he's the same guy that put me on in 2000 with Master P. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't remember. And um, and so he and I have been great friends since then. You know, I've been in a, a bunch of stuff with him later. He did Sicario later. But, um, you know, that that that's kind of how small the community becomes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so here's a guy now I've known for 10 years that I just got reacquainted with in a deeper way than I could have before. And, and it's slow. And you can't expect it. Like, I didn't expect to be able to make money in the film industry mm -hmm. fast forward then you know to well in in 2019 free guy is the movie that i got hurt on uh there is no help there's great you know i was in, i was in a hyperbaric chamber down in mexico at my friend's place and uh there's a guy in there with me who goes dude how awesome you're in the film business you must have awesome insurance <laughs> and, and i go yeah i said i probably got the best insurance that you can get in the world i i, I bet and he goes, wow, man, that's super cool. That's great. I go, bro, we're in Mexico. <laughs> getting treatment. We're getting health care in Mexico. That's how good my insurance is. Like, they won't treat me for what I have because they don't know how and they're not interested in exploring it because right. they don't have drugs that they can get the whole world hooked on. Right. It's like, that's the system that my great insurance offers. If I break my arm, I get in a car accident. Man, I'm glad I got that insurance here right. or whatever. But, God, they're trying to kill me just as much as they're trying to help me. Right. And so in inside all that, it's like, you know, the idea of my podcast that started before that was Pirate Your Life Podcast. It was like, pirate your life back. Yeah. Like, I'd seen pharmaceutical companies trying to kill us since I was a kid in the 90s. You know, I went through a, a, a treatment. I just started seeing that in the early advent of when Prozac came out, when Zoloft came out, mm -hmm. when all... Those were the first things that seem like nothing now. Man, they got shit now that they give people when they come out like gabapentin and shit, which is like a neurological thing, depression. They they prescribe it for everything. And you literally can't get off it if you're on it for an extended period of time. Yeah. It's yeah. an insane thing yeah. that they're doing. To, and so I've been noticing anyway. That's and a whole I don't look at your history either. Like my um, oh. next of mine passed away of a drug overdose in sober living. And he'd been sober for such a long time. And he got in a car accident with a brain bleed. Doctor did not care about his history yep. with addiction, gave him all the pills yep. and relapsed him. Yep. And I'm like, where, where, I don't understand the system at all, which is they why want, I do. It's, which they for, want, they want you on drugs. They want a customer, which is, you understand. Well, yeah. Which is, <laughs> yes, yes. The naive little girl me is like, why is this like this? I know, I know. But it's, it's for me, the, the real truth of what I do with nutrition is it's just a tool to help someone realize agency over their own life. Right. If you can control what you're going to put in your body and your habits throughout the day, you can control a lot of other things in your life. Yep. So it's really just for me, I think we share something similar. So many people in my life have died, whether it's murder, overdose, cancer, accidents, freak things, two deaths in the last two weeks. Like I just want so badly for people who are remaining to have agency over their life and know what it's like to feel great, know what it's like to be of service, to be in gratitude. And I use food as the tool because everyone's got to eat. Possible. You know, I mean, I, I, we're not taught that. Mm -hmm. You have to pirate your own life mm -hmm. because you have to do that to be able to find that out. It wasn't until uh, Rob Wolf gave me his book mm -hmm. 
and and that I first started to have a well, I don't remember the zone diet. Yeah. <laughs> so the, zone, the zone diet was the first thing I messed around with. Yeah. Right. And I go, and they're like, you, you know, the idea being that you can get in the zone in that optimized state yeah. of of output where you feel great, you're yeah. performing great and all that with the right macronutrients that, that go on. And 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 they didn't care if it was Snickers bars. I mean, sure, the quality sure. didn't yeah. come into it. And so then the next conversation was people started saying, well, if you did the zone diet with high quality foods, mm-hmm. then blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, the paleo diet came out and then the mm-hmm. keto, you know, so there's And now been... it's about personalization and design your own health right, based on right, your own chemistry, right. which I think is really empowering. And to your point, we don't have a really great system. So there are days when I'm like, I'm tired, I want to quit. And then I'll see some schmuck post something on social media. And I'm like, oh my God, this is such reckless information. All right, Mary, giddy up. You got work to do to make this accessible. Not to the people that have access to me, like my athletes, but like how do I make the information of designing your health accessible to Susie in Kentucky? That we don't do this in schools with gyms and public schools and teach them about, I mean, you ask anybody really what three macronutrients are that make up all of our food base. Most people are not going to have an answer. Right. We don't know anything about what formulates the body, let alone right. what goes into your mood structures, right. what goes into fueling you, what goes into healing you. Uh, that you know, I didn't know that gluten caused acid reflux in me until I went paleo. I was mm-hmm. already I'd had scarring on my esophageal yeah. lining, yeah. which gives you a cancer that kills you instantly. Um, and uh, I, I went paleo. I met Rob, and at the same time, I got on this show that was filming out here for a couple weeks. And I came out and I go, oh my God, I, I left my Prilosec at home. When I got back, I saw it on the counter. And I go, holy shit. And I took two because I was so scared because that's how bad the acid reflux yeah. is. It was a torture for me. Yeah. But then I thought about it after, as I swallowed him. I go, I haven't had that in the last two weeks. Right. And I go, but I've changed my diet. I was like, wow, wheat was causing that yeah. to happen for yeah. me. And I had no idea about yeah. body inflammation. So that shit got me interested in a whole different way about yeah. like, well, what's actually true about your food? Do yeah. you actually, again, do I need do I need a pharmaceutical answer right. or do I need discipline? Right. And most people would rather have, I mean, in the land of sober companions and, 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 and all the different kind of, th- how do you buy your wellness? Mm-hmm. You know, um, that doesn't exist. You saying that you get excited when you're teaching somebody a modality. Yeah. I get excited when an athlete sees how great they can be, when that yeah. unlock happens of nutrition. Or when someone's no longer in, they wake up not in pain, they're like, "What? I just had to change the food. Yeah. And the stories, I... I I love working with elite athletes specifically because they're so aware of their body. So I love hearing the story of, of like a soccer player in the middle of dribbling in a match because I was dribbling and then I saw it in, in slow motion, but fast motion. And he goes, and then I thought to myself, this stuff Mary does, like it really works. Or an elite Olympian track and field being like, I am moving differently this season. And I'm like, this is amazing. And they're like, thank you, Mary. I go, no, it's not me. We're just listening to your yep. body and programming it and then using those stories to inspire Susie in Kentucky. Yep. Because Susie doesn't want to hear about how long it takes. But if I tell her, yo, this person you look up to, listen, listen to the details, like, all right, I'm a little more, I'm a little more intrigued and interested yep. about it now. Um, okay, so when you were first presented with the idea of coming to Woodland Hills, and you're like, that's not yeah, very reasonable. Yeah, yeah. The thing I there's something you've said that I love, which is be audacious. The have the audacity. At what point did you realize that you needed to stop being reasonable and you leaned into the audacity? I guess uh, I saw possibility. 
you know, I, I saw, oh, there's people that are actually really doing this. And also it was, you know, it was twofold. It do, at first it seemed ridiculous that I was going to go and be in the movies in 2000. But secondly, and maybe more importantly, I had already picked my road and my road was combat sports. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, I'm in this lane and all, everything's set up here, my training and everything. And I want to know how to recreate that somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and run this out. This seems like the most logical path for me. And I think there's something to that. I don't know. My coach would always say, you know, you've got to have a strategy. We need a game plan, mm -hmm. right? And you have to be able to abort from that game plan and pivot as soon as you need to mm -hmm. in the moment mm -hmm. also, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's something about that. And, I, and, you know, you've got to be your own boss and, and going, when does that pivot happen? But, uh, you know, like for me, I ran it till the wheels came off. You know, it's like you're, you're into the detriment of yourself if you continue on this way. And so where do you go now? And so I've been stubborn in that yeah. um, regard, but, but that stick to I think is what kept me there. And then, th then, then the same thing when I decided, I go, okay, this stuff is out of the way. Mm -hmm. Now I can go here and mm -hmm. this is what I'm going to do. And that's when I go, okay, I'm going to spend money. That's this pointless money that nobody would say, well, that's a safe bet, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm going to buy an airplane ticket to go and meet this guy. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, so you're audacious in giving the focus to the lane you're in right now. Yeah. And you're not looking over here and looking yeah. over here. Yeah. And then you find a moment where you're like, okay, if I keep going down this lane, it's going to go off the cliff. So now it's time to be audacious somewhere else right. rather than spreading out the audacity right, and diluting it all. I mean, I'm a guy that knows that it, the grass is greener where you water it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's mm -hmm. like, this is, and this is where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And and I've done it the other way before. Mm -hmm. And that leads to heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and that's real. Like I, and so uh, I want to be able to pay attention to what I'm paying attention to. Mm -hmm. and, um, As you're coming up in the, the fight scene and you're getting concussions, yeah. are you, are you aware that you're having a concussion? The first time I ever remember really getting one, uh, one time I'd gotten beaten up by the police and, and I, I was out, out and I was hurt for a few days and um and that was like dizziness would happen for the next couple months. The next time I remember it happening was I was in a stick fight and uh and, and um there's a lot of things that went wrong and mm -hmm. uh I, and I lost my stick mm -hmm. and I and I froze because it shocked me. I didn't know that could happen. Mm -hmm. Um I'd seen it happen <laughs> to other people. I didn't think it happened to me. I was fighting with the stick that was bigger. I normally would tape the one end of it for like all the things that I didn't set up anything correctly. And I lost it. And in that moment of freeze, that guy goes, what? And and I and I went down to my knees and 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 in that after that, yeah. I uh for a month afterwards if I would play guard, like on my back mm -hmm. in jujitsu, I would get bed spin. So I, I just played top. Yeah. Like I didn't stop training ever. Right. I just, I just adjust it to the malady. I did choke that guy uh, to sleep though, that, that knocked me out. I, I remember this is the crazy thing about ego too. Like what self are you defending? I'm defending all the cells. <laughs> I go down to a knee and I go, oh my God, there's 300 people around that are looking at me. How embarrassing if you get knocked out. And I was able to come up and tackle them and finish the fight. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, but those kinds of things, uh, you know, that tenacity that I had, 
it just, I mean, I, I'm just throwing myself at life right. and going, let's, let's go. Like, I, and then maybe, collecting these concussions along the way. Was, was that vocabulary there? Like, did you know? And the reason that, that I actually did I didn't know to, it was sticky. Right. So the, the reason why I bring this up is concussions are so prevalent across all sports. Sports, you wouldn't even think about yeah. it. And there are people who will get a concussion because something fell on their head and they don't think about it. And there are long-term ramifications from if you got a concussion when you're 15, you can have symptoms that present themselves in your hormones as a female in at 35. And I'm trying to bring more awareness to that. And there's a protocol that you can do acutely with uh, nutrition and hyperbaric chamber. And then there's a long-term and it's a taboo fucking topic. And I'm like, why are we not implementing this? So yeah. when I asked you these details about like, okay, what did you feel? Because I want anyone who's been overlooking or not putting the the connection okay. to the two to be able to see that because you lived it in the worst way possible all the way up to the brink of not being here. I feel like when I said earlier that I didn't know how sick I was till I started getting better, I'll start there and go backwards or or I'll start there and then jump back and say, okay, so I'm getting bed spins on, on the floor when I'm uh, trying to play jujitsu. I, I uh, have to change the way I, I move. That goes away. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you're set, you're healed, you're mm -hmm. good, you're good again. And that was a couple months for me. Now that juxtaposed to like I saw a guy get nearly knocked out in a in a football game, um, and then he played again Monday. He played again Monday, mm -hmm. and he got hurt real badly. And it's like, you know, they talk about in the fight game. It used to be I don't know what it is now, but if you get a TKO or a KO, a TKO they'll go and they'd look at you and they would assess how long you need to be out. Is he out? For 60 days, 90 days, 180 days, um, a, a KO, I think they had a set time that they, you were out, that, that you had to sit out. Well, sitting out means the the, the fight promoter isn't going to pay me for another fight. If I, if, you know, if I'm in a king of the cage or if I'm in, like, there's a lot of, there's, if I'm in one of these other um, uh, leagues, mm -hmm. as it were, like these other companies, they might, but the UFC had protocols mm -hmm. where they go, you got to sit out. But that doesn't mean that the athlete stops training. Mm -hmm. You never stop training because you feel like they're, you're going to get behind. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when I get knocked out in a fight is that's Saturday night. I'm back on Monday. And the whispers are like, fuck, man, he's right back at it, right on. You know, there's like... They're making you feel... Ah. And, and, and so you're like, yeah, man, fucking... I, I let down the team. I, I'm carrying the flag of the gym and I let him down because I lost. Yeah. But I'm back in here and I'm fucking trying, I'm grinding, I'm trying to get better. That's all we know. Right. We just know how to work right. as athletes. No, we don't know how it. to rest. We don't know how to heal. Maybe that's different now. Back then it was like that. No, it's still the same. Is it's, that it's, right? It can be real. You've got your select players and then when you're really lucky, you've got those select coaches that yeah, are like, no. That's where the difference no. is. No. Like coaches are everything and I get fucking I didn't know soccer livid. players could get hurt. And they got, they're, they're one of the worst with concussions. Right. Like heading that ball. Like, right. it's insane. One of my athletes, I think, was the number two or number three concussed soccer player right? in the world. Dr. Dan Engel <laughs> is a guy that first spoke to me in a language after I got hurt on the film where I go, he gets it. And he'd hurt himself being a soccer player. Mm -hmm. That was the thing. Well, anyways, what I'm saying is after I get hurt, I feel better after a time where I feel like I'm back. Mm -hmm. And then that happens for years. And then at one of the fights, the ultimate fighter has just gotten popular, maybe in their first four or five seasons. And uh, there's a guy, and I believe it was a guy named Sam Morgan. He's a real beautiful athlete from uh, up in Wisconsin or Minneapolis. 
And he got knocked out in front of me and, and Rogan and like Ari Shafir. We're sitting like Cade side at this little tiny venue. It's very intimate. He's to the wall from me. I mean, it's just, uh, and he's unconscious for seven minutes, eight minutes. To watch somebody, it's, uh, if you ever, I mean, it's like watching somebody die in front of you. It's, it, it's horrible. His ears bleeding, his mouth bleeding. And, um, and we're going home and we're all kind of, just on our heels from that and and joe goes yeah you know the craziest thing about concussions is that they don't show up for 10 15 years after the injury and i thought how that's weird that he'd know that i still think it's weird that he would know that then uh i, I don't know what he's looked into but that was completely my experience mm -hmm. fast forward to 2000 and uh i don't know probably 17 18 I started to get sick emotionally. I started to get where I knew my perspective wasn't the same as like my partner's perspective or something. And I was looking things in an askew way and I, and the uh, psychic uh, degradation was kind of occurring and, mm -hmm. and my irritability was going through the roof and, and all these things were happening at once. And, and that was about, you know, 10 or 12 years before. And how do you make that link? And if so like, I'm, yeah. I'm looking and, and, and so I'm, but I'm not thinking I'm sick. I'm thinking, you know, all these other things. And then when I get banged out in, in 2019 and I was out for five or six minutes and uh, I didn't have any brain bleeds, thank God. And I didn't have a fractured skull. Uh, and they said, thank God that you're as thick as you were. Cause this, I mean, I, I was on a, on a wire and I got pulled. And so you're traveling 30 miles an hour to your head I was picked and anyway, there's a whole lot that was wrong with that. Um, and when I, I started thinking about, I was about maybe eight months into healing and, and by healing, I mean, just sitting on my couch and sobbing and, uh, and I'd been to a brain clinic early on. Dan Angle helped me a lot. And, uh, it was the first time I start, started to feel like my depression could be helped. Mm -hmm. And, um, but still all the outside forces were against me. And, and I, and I just got to this place where I was like, I, I gotta go. And I had that conversation with Fung Chow. And then, um, you know, I talked to, uh, to my friend Dozer who we're having a memorial for this month, actually. Um, he died last year too, but, um, I talked to him and he was friends with, uh, Lisa and Shane Dorian who had, who had, um, we'd all met together and he, he has a phone call with me where he gets worried about my health. And then he calls the next thing I know, 10 minutes later, Lisa's texting me. Hey, Tay, you need to get a hold of Shane right now. He's at this brain clinic and you got to talk to him. I go, and I don't even put it together. I go, that's weird that Lisa's texting me. Well, I guess I'll call <laughs> Shane, you know, anyway, the day before I'm going to go to this treatment center to get MERT, which is like a, uh, they shoot magnets into your, into your head. They do an EEG and they try to align the, the different waves of your head, the different patterns of alpha, beta, theta, mm -hmm, delta, mm -hmm. Uh, because they get misaligned, you know, you, you know, you get hit in the head, you're, you know, my testosterone was at 20, I think, and my estrogen through the roof. And I, I, I just hear the doctor telling me that. And I go, well, great. That's great news. Cause I feel horrible. And maybe this will help me. You know, right, you're seeing right. things that'll There's help the me. There's the connection that people don't see, like a lot of PCO, PCOS and infertility that I have to deal with, with some of my, um, yep. uh, female athletes that are in life. 
they're not athletes now, but I'm like, were you an athlete in high school? They're like, yeah. And I go, did you have any concussions? Yeah, three or four. And I'm like, whoa. And you they see that attachment. They said people fall and they hit their heads. They can get diabetes. Your HPT axis yeah. gets... And so there's all kinds of shifts that concussions that, that I'm seeing now. Like one was I was having my head slammed against the wall, which is another story. And then I had a a frame of a window fall on my head and I'm at this point acutely aware of what's going to happen longer term and I'm like fuck and then I feel them now the last five years like I'm forgetful my hormones are weird like and I try to talk about it and because I'm not credentialed I'm not a doctor they're like okay whack job I'm like just wait wait until the 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 science catches up with what I'm noticing so yeah it's it's like that the hormone imbalance you're experiencing Someone would go in, the doctor won't ask them about experience with concussions. Here's a pill. Yep. That's what they want. When I came in off of that movie, they said, we'll take fish oil. And if you're not better in eight months, we'll give you Alzheimer's medicine. I go, you're telling me to kill myself. Like that's, I said, are you not interested in stem cells, hyperbaric? They go, that's not what we do. And uh, I was like, as a healer, you're not curious about that? And they're Mm -hmm. like, that's not my job. You know, I'm a mechanic and I'm told to use this wrench. And I was like, that's insane. Anyway, during that time before I'm injured, I'm ruining all my relationships. I'm pushing everybody away from me. Da, 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 da. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm at the cusp of uh, going to this treatment center to get this magnets shot in my head. And my mom says, I'm so glad you got hurt. And I go, you got to tell me more about that, mom. 2019 hurt she's yeah. referring to? Yeah. yeah. And she says, I've been watching you darken for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to say it. I couldn't put a finger on it. But you've been just more distant and 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 depressed and and irritable and and pushing me away. And and I and I go, Mom, and I started sobbing. I go, it felt like a cloud was coming up behind me that I couldn't get away from. And and it just kept coming. And I and I'd feel like I'd get ground and then there it is again. And um and when I look in retrospect about those injuries, like that, that's it mirrors that for me. And uh, so I, I go and I, I start getting real aggressive about treatments. Mm-hmm. And I start to get hope that maybe I could get better. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I believe is that, you know, I got into a place where it seems like you're in a hole and there is no way out. And 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 there is light. It's just, you know, I, I, would, I remember my one friend, Pat, she would say, um, we were talking one day. And I said, I'm just, you know, I said, I'm real grateful I have these paths and, and uh, like a, a spiritual path I'm following. I'm glad that I have a good process in my history so that I'm not learning something new, but that I have something that I can just overlay like this into. But, you know, I'm fractured and I'm just different and mm-hmm. it's a different, uh, different thing. And she says, she goes, Tate, you say that a lot. And, and I'm really not a victim guy. And she's like, it, it smells like that, you know? And she says, I want you to remember that bodies tend towards healing. Mm-hmm. The universe tends towards healing. Mm-hmm. You can cut yourself; your body will start knitting itself back together. I was just going to say that. To me, it's a miracle. Thing. It's a miracle. Every time I burn myself in the kitchen, I'm like, "Whoa, this is about to like without me thinking." And that's a truth. What? <laughs> yes, it's a truth we can have faith in, right? And and I heard that, and it just, it, I go, yeah, okay. And so it's like give time, time, and like if there is a a, a perfect. Uh, underlying power that is in this universe are you missing anything or are you having the exact experience that you need at the time you're having it right now and just to follow my breath and to be into that was a thing and then and then to talk you know to have the 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 
you know, this crazy experience that I have this knowledge about now to be able to talk to other people and people's families and go, yeah, well, it's just like this and like that. And, I, you know, you see the people, you see wrestlers, you see football players, you know, people make the final choice. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, the problem is, is that you have a perspective shift. You hit your head, your filter that you view the world through gets twisted but you don't know it's twisted because it's how you perceive the world. Mm -hmm. So you think the world's twisted Mm -hmm. and then you react in kind Mm -hmm. and you're having a whole different reality than everybody in your life. Mm -hmm. And you're alone Mm -hmm. in that. And eventually you become a stranger to yourself Mm -hmm. and your life becomes a complaint. It's like a flashlight. Flashlight can't see its own light. Right. It also doesn't know when it's out. Yeah. And it's like, you think the world's dark, but it's like, no, there's something that's messing with your ability to be that light. And so I didn't even know I was hurt until after I started getting well. Yeah. Is is the thing. And um and I've explored a thousand different ways to get well. Mm-hmm. And I continue doing that. You know, I mean, I've you know, had horrible, like I said, horrible fractures in relationships that seem final and seem empty and, and, and it becomes the same thing again and going, if you're looking for wellness from something outside of you, um, if you're looking for wholeness. Mm-hmm you're looking in the wrong place. And so how do I go inward again mm-hmm. and grow myself into who I need to be? And, and what we're talking about is like when you were talking about feeling good when Carl walks in the room or around Logan or mm-hmm. something, I believe that there's these spiritual vessels, these containers. And I feel like my head, in, like, I feel like it's, I smashed myself. I was the most vulnerable I've ever been. I couldn't go to a grocery store. I couldn't go outside, mm-hmm. I, like all the things. And it takes holding that space long enough to, grow this thing again where you can be held and where you can be uh beneficent to those around you in a way that is just how you are Mm -hmm. and 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 i think those things grow back stronger Mm -hmm. if you give it the time but again it's not it's not like a light switch Mm -hmm. where it's like i flip the thing off and i get a result it's like it's like a road it's like this slow road and um and i'm real like i'm grateful to be on it Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. you are an embodiment of it. Even even before this injury, like I said, it there isn't a time I don't sit down with you and don't get emotional because of your softness oh. and your gentleness. <laughs> well, thanks. And your light. I don't know where I heard it, but I heard somewhere once uh, it took a lot of violence to get this gentle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's. I mean, ironically, the most kind, gentle, loving people I know are fighters. Yeah. And they're killers, basically. Well, that's what I... That, so anyway, <laughs> something great here. To, this so, is all great. Are you kidding me? So, so, so this... Well, this... You know, this whole thing about agency. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so in the film business, there's no agency. There's a vertical hierarchy, and it's like this craziest caste system that's not a third world country. It's wild, right? And so here we are in this, and I go, man... The only way that there's any kind of real agency is if you have creation, mm-hmm. if you're like a show. Mm-hmm. And in that time that I got hurt, Keith uh, Jardine, mm-hmm. my partner, he starts writing. Also an angel. And he writes and writes and he becomes excellent. And um, we film a little short that we all do together. It's just all friends. And then we get some money from some people that trust us enough because they're like, oh, I was a fan of his when he fought or whatever. Yeah. And um and so we put out this short, and then we have proof of concept. Mm-hmm. And then he takes it to all these independent film festivals, wins all these little awards, um, and then uh, we're ready to do a feature. And so 
the, the strike happens. And so we can do an independent feature. So we get all the crews. We get some of the best guys in the world, the best DP in the world. Like we get these guys that are like friends of ours mm -hmm. over the last 10 years that we've been knocking it around as, as like character actors and stunt people. And we all conspire to make this thing. And so on December 23rd, we finished, we took our last shots of this thing called Killer Cafe, which is a, this psychological, almost Hitch, Hitchcockian type of uh, slasher thriller that we shot in this diner in yeah. downtown Albuquerque. <laughs> and, um, and so we're editing that right now. Yeah. We've already got three of his next movies that we're ready to put together. And, and, and to be in that kind of thing of producing and performing and being able to direct and all, like, it's like, again, seeing possibility in a whole new way. Yeah. And the idea about being healthy for, like, to recover from a brain injury is like to be on the side where it's like you're hearing people go, it's the most selfish thing you can do to kill somebody or to kill yourself. I can't imagine how these people kill themselves. And, you know, my, I remember my dad when I was little, one of my buddies, he, he shot himself in the face with a shotgun and, that, and when we were in the seventh grade. And, and he chastised that event, you know. And, and it wasn't until I started getting better that I understood both sides of it. Mm -hmm. And I was... Because what would it be to 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 mark or to to damage this beautiful body of God's creation or the universe's creation that's supposed to be the mm -hmm. a, a proponent of, of things of health and and all? And then also I can understand what it would be like to want to erase myself, mm -hmm. and I understand both sides of those yeah, things. Yeah, and I'm, I'm grateful that I I do, and I'm grateful I didn't hurt myself. Yeah. But like, uh, I'm grateful that the hurts brought me to a new understanding. Yeah. You know, I think it's the thing like Logan talks about. Um, being anti-fragile mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and not to be able to uh, just be resilient, but to be able to, for the event, to have grown stronger right. from it. Right. And I, yeah, he's meant the world to me in my life. You know, a guy that uses fucking weightlifting as, <laughs> as the conversation. And has an intimate relationship with his own this darkness. deep spiritual yeah. love to transcend these things. Yeah. I, I want Logan to feel what he does for others one day. I want him to really be able to sit in reception of that. You know what he said to me? He goes, because we would talk on the phone when I was really hurt, and he goes, uh, "What? what is it? You know, and I said, man, it's like, it's like I just don't know who I, I I've lost myself, and I've become a thing that I don't recognize, and I got to go. Like, I, I just can't do this. He goes, he goes, no, man. He says, you just need to come around and let us remind you who you are. You know, and, and there's little things like that that catch you at the right time in the right place where it changes everything, yeah. you know? And he's one of those guys. Yeah. There's something I, I heard recently, I mean, like the last couple of days that really hit me. What you are will never happen again. <laughs> like that. Like, fuck. Yeah. And try to have that yeah. appreciation for it. And I think, I think we specifically are super lucky to have orbited each other around this place, Deuce and Logan and yeah. Carl and Omid. Yeah. Like I I don't think I would have made it. I know I don't spend the time every day in the in the gym right. the way other people do, right. but if I was not sent there day yeah. one of LA, I was sent I was told you get to LA, you get in the car, you yeah. go to Deuce, you ask for Logan because we're worried about how you're gonna make friends in LA. Yeah. So I went there. If I didn't at the very least know that that place is there and these people are there, I wouldn't have made it this time. Yeah. So even just knowing the place is there, even though it, sometimes I get agoraphobic, it's hard for me to be around sure. people like that. Just knowing it's there makes me feel less alone in my little island. Isn't it weird that there's some people that think that what happens there is just that people lift weights? <laughs> 
we do. Isn't it wild? <laughs> it's wild when you think about, you have no idea the depth of what this is, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, it's like those are laboratories, you know, and, and they're everything. I mean, and it's like having touchstones like that, like undisputed, like things like that for me, it's like, that gives me the community and, and the and the confidence that can start Caveman Coffee, that yeah. I can start a podcast, that I, I'm like, oh, these are things that these people care about nourishment too. And then you're around this fucking crazy community of people yeah. that are speaking a similar language right. for things that they didn't have words for before. Right. That was the other thing about recovery when I said that Dan Engel helped me so much is that he gave a language to emotions I was having that I couldn't express. Right. It's tantamount to being a baby that screams that if they could say I'm hungry, they wouldn't scream, but you don't have the fucking words right. yet. And that kind of thing, like I want to bring that conversation of concussions out. I, I don't know if I want to write a manual or something, but I'd like, I, I need please to do, do something no, please do. to be uh, in that conversation in a deeper way. Cause I have a lot of valuable information about it. And I have a language of, of empathy and compassion to go through it. I mean, uh, please do. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's the people who trip and fall with their diagnosis that find a way to heal themselves and then turn it into a way to heal others. So like yeah. that, you are the authority figure on it, not just tactically, but emotionally and spiritually. Yeah. Like you have to. Yeah. Yeah. It's valuable. Is the podcast going to come back? Yeah. I have to find a producer in Santa Fe. I have to find a way to make it. E I, I was just doing it on a zoom yeah. my, and myself and going, I hope I hit record. Yeah. Right. And all, and yeah. I don't want to do any of that. I'd, I'd love to just walk into a setup like this. and bang yeah, it. Yeah. And I've never had that luxury, yeah. I guess, in that way. And, um, Brad, and so I want to, I, I need you to go to Santa Fe and you set up his garage or room or gym. I want to create that. And then yeah. have it where you just sit down like this yeah. and then they can edit it type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's guys, I know this there's, the first time I'm having the support too, where I'm like, this makes it yep. so much easier it for makes me it to doable. do. Yes. Yes. Otherwise I've got all these other things to do and I'm not going to spend time uploading this and uh, advertising it. I'm certainly not going to make clips out of it or animate yeah, it or no. something or whatever <laughs> it is that everybody that. does. You yeah, know, I'm not doing that. It's too much. So yeah. But that's where I'd like the conversation to start for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that's, that's your, your parting gift if we were to close this out what do you want people to take away from this oh, conversation boy. there's a thing at caveman coffee we used to have these bands and uh lacy made and that on one side is caveman coffee and on the other side it says i need you to try mm. you know this idea of like whether it's seeking god or trying to do something hard or whatever it is it's in the try mm -hmm. you know it's the difference between being a participant and being a spectator I would just encourage anybody to try and to be a little audacious about mm -hmm. that. And when you can be in your try, a lot of times it looks a little selfish. Yeah. Yeah. No, do it. Do it. Encore. There's, Encore. You know, <laughs> I was talking with Keith yesterday and um, we talk about a lot of the stuff that is written. We look at has to, you know, there, there's themes there. And thematically, it's like what sacrifices. And um, we're talking about great movies we like that are that are that are that way. Uh, if you're a wrestler and like at my age or what, I, you, there's a movie called Vision Quest that is uh, one of the best movies ever made. And um, and inside of this idea, there's like the sacrifice of what you give up. I want to do this thing, so I'm going to forgo a family. I'm going to forgo a relationship. I'm going to forgo. And and there's all these things that you pass up. And what I've learned, and I thought that that was necessary. In this try. What comes up against me? Old ideas. Mm -hmm. What are old ideas? Uh, they're, they're ideas that I think it's not an idea. I think it's just the way it is. 
this is just how life is. Hey, man, people are going to go for theirs. You got to fucking get yours and fucking just stay. And, like, uh, there's not room for, like, well, maybe if everybody does better, everybody does better. You know what I mean? There's these old ideas. And so what are these old ideas that are limiting factors for how I, I grow my life into an infinite possibility? Mm-hmm. How do I get into this quantum field of infinite possibility? What does that look like? And it looks like I have to get audacious in my thinking and go, maybe I'll try. And and we're on this movie, Killer Cafe, that we're not we're a couple of fighters that are beat up and brain damaged. We're not supposed to be doing this. Mm-hmm. And then in this movie, there's these people that we've loved for decades, right? Uh, Cowboy Cerrone is there, uh, Maurice is there, uh, Jody is there, uh, Michelle Waterson's there, like uh, Donald Sanchez. Like there's all these people that we've known from the gym from this thing about these people know how to grind mm-hmm. and they've they, they've shown approved for decades, right? And there's something about that. You know, what is it that it's not a light switch? It's like they know who Tate is mm-hmm. in a way nobody else can because they've seen it day after week after year after decade. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there's something when you know people for decades that mm-hmm. is like comfortable. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a space you can relax into. Mm-hmm. There's no errors. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows every, they know all the warts. They know all the everything, mm-hmm. you know? They know who you are. Let me show you who you are, mm-hmm. right? And and so there's this new actress that's there, and and she's talking to uh, Peanut to um, Michelle, and and you know, and everybody knows who everybody is visually on Instagram or something like that. And there's this this is overlaid with this prevailing idea that you need to sacrifice all these things in order to get great at something. And I said, no. Do you, I said, do you know who Michelle really is? And she goes, who? And Michelle starts kind of laughing. And she, who? And I go, she's somebody that was up. And I and I say to this girl, I said, this is uh, this idea of sacrifice and what you have to give up in order to get something. And and it's hard. And then you're a little bitter or resentful, or else you've you've you know gone ahead and you go, well, this is just how it is, and it's okay, and you've accept mm-hmm. whatever it is. She didn't believe that. And when she fell in love, she followed love. Mm-hmm. And she continued to fight and do this very hard thing. And when she decided she wanted a family, she had a family. And she continued to fight and do this very hard thing. Her dream never suffered for her wanting to have her life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing is like, these things are possible. You can't be a victim and win. Mm -hmm. But you can be a participant and jump in in ways that you maybe think are incompatible that might not be. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just leave leave room for a fresh idea mm-hmm. of something that you know just can't happen, but maybe it can, you know, something like that. Yeah, thank you. That's something that I'm living right now the last six months. Yeah. Yeah, where it's um, realizing the things I've put aside to make it. Yeah. And then realizing like, oh, shit, I just turned 39. And I'm like, oh, shit. That time went by fast and my relationships have suffered and my health has suffered. What you know is that we're here right now Mm -hmm. and this is where we are. This is where our feet are. Mm -hmm. So if we're already dead, Mm -hmm. then what haven't I tasted Mm -hmm. that I've been putting out, right? And it becomes like that. It's Mm -hmm. like if you're already dead, if you get reductive with it, Would I have liked to held hands like that with somebody? Mm-hmm. Would I have liked, to, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah, it's a, it's interesting to consider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's an honor. Yeah. It's an absolute honor. Where can people find you? Um, I, I'm uh, My name's Tate. It's T-A-I-T and just Tate Fletcher is, uh, I'm easy to find. I'm easy to find. Uh, you can also find me at, at uh, you know, 
Um, well, yeah, that's it. That's, okay. that's the best part. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you. And that is it on today's episode. Thanks so much for hanging out. Your time and attention never goes unappreciated. If anything in today's show stood out to you, I encourage you to share it to social and tag me. That is how you can help a little independent show like mine grow. And of course, rate, review, and subscribe to Eat, Play, Crush wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you want to follow me, I'm at Paleo Chef on social media or the show at Eat, Play, Crush. If you want to stay in touch via my newsletter or get your hands on the gut reset, visit eatplaycrush.com. And until next time, be well, do good, and trust your gut.